everybody. I'm Stuart Gandalf. I'm CEO of Health for Success. And um, we have a, a, another big audience today, including some people we know and lots of people we haven't met yet. Um, looking forward to doing this. This happens to be one of my very favorite, fa very favorite topics to talk about. I love SEO. It's um, in a, a core of our company. And I'll describe that in just a few moments. Uh, but you'll, I think you'll get the passion of um, my attitude towards this topic. Um, who is this webinar for? Um, this webinar, we called it this one, Advanced Healthcare SEO. And so we're going to cover a lot of advanced things. Um, we have um, some multi-location healthcare practices, a, a number of uh, DSOs, dental service organizations with multiple practices, PPMs, private practice management companies, or uh, professional practice management companies with um, of various medical specialties and other specialties. Um, some uh, big and uh, small addiction treatment center groups online, uh, hospitals, health plans, uh, a couple of people from Pharma and Device, and we also have some individual practices as well. So one thing that's important, I, SEO is such a deep topic and I'm going to, it's going to feel like a race today. I can't teach you everything I know in 45 minutes and with John here. Um, in fact, even when we do these at our seminars in Las Vegas, we do a couple times a year under no, more normal circumstances, we dedicate about two hours to this topic. So I will be covering a lot of ground really quickly because I want to give you as much value as we can. Please recognize that if you're an individual practice or a multi-location, you know, national leader, these principles apply to everybody. And so I'm, uh, we'll talk about how this applies and we're going to really reach both audiences. And uh, we'll, this will become more clear as we get into this. So we're going to start off with introductions, just a couple of moments about who we are for those of you that are new to us and why this matters. We're going to talk about some of the SEO fundamentals, uh, as well as more enterprise SEO throughout this whole program. And we've allowed some time at the end for some Q&A. So we'll be going through all of this material today. So in the introduction phase, again, I'm Stuart Gandalf. I've been doing marketing for about 20 years in healthcare. I've been doing it actually more than that overall. Um, done a ton of speaking and writing on this topic. Um, SEO, again, is one of my favorite, but I speak about lots of things. Um, the, I really have worked for over a thousand clients uh, over the years. And I grew up in Ohio and moved over to California afterwards, my MBA out of uh, San Diego. Uh, looking forward to working with you today. Uh, today, I'm, uh, I love being able to share my webinars with esteemed colleagues, and John uh, is someone I'm super excited about. Um, you know, again, SEO is at the core of our business, and um, uh, I was very pleased to recruit him and land him recently. Um, so, uh, John, do you want to give a little bit about your background? Sure. Thank you, Stuart. So I'm the SEO and Digital Account Director for Healthcare Success. Uh, I've been here now a little over a month. It's been a, a wild ride and a lot of fun. Um, I have 10 years, uh, over 10 years of experience in digital marketing, search engine optimization. Um, more recently, I've spent the last over four years working with specific dental services, which I think is at, at about this point, the number two dental service organization in, in the country with something along the lines of 900 locations, um, both from East and West Coast. Um, I've created managed campaigns across multiple uh, healthcare verticals, um, many of which he meant, you know, Stuart mentioned in the prior slide. And I've led a number of digital marketing campaigns, um, you know, across a couple different uh, leading digital agencies. So, um, and, you know, he mentioned I have an MA in Cal from Cal, Cal State um, University of Long Beach. Um, that was in history. So I wasn't originally planning on becoming an SEO. I don't think that anyone like goes to school for SEO, right? But 
uh, that's where I landed, and uh, it's been uh, been a lot of fun. So great, and so we've always prided ourselves as an co- agency having a strong SEO team. Uh, John brings to us uh, this, the real world experience of working with how do you SEO 900 locations, right? Um, and it's funny, some of you may know, our history goes back with uh, Pacific Dental for many years. Our, one of our strategists worked with uh, the founder back when they had five locations. <laughs> now they have 900. So, um, and they're still doing some of the things we taught them way back when. So at any rate, uh, welcome, John. Uh, John's going to be providing the color commentary. I'll be talking about a lot of the concepts and John's going to uh, say, okay, how did that apply in my life? You know, when we have many locations or a larger institution, uh, again, these concepts apply to everybody. They're just uh, executed differently. Obviously, when you have hundreds of locations or 20, even dozens of locations versus one. Um, our agency is in, uh, we work nationally. It's funny that we love this photo because we do love Southern California. However, um, we work nationally. Most of our clients are actually back east. Um, the, we are a full service agency. So while today we're talking about SEO primarily, um, we really are a truly integrated digital first performance agency. Clients hire us because they're looking for results. Um, we are healthcare specialists. Uh, we truly are omnichannel. Uh, and again, we are all about results. The, um, for those of you that are new to us on the line, um, we work with tons of different, uh, these are some of the clients we're working with now or in the recent past. Uh, uh, multi-location businesses. Uh, we have a book. We actually wrote an ebook about multi-location healthcare marketing. And also, by the way, we just completed a webinar last week about multi-location healthcare marketing. So if you're interested in uh, the webinar from last week or the ebook, just send us an email after this is over and we can make sure you get the copy of those because those are both super strong uh, assets. Uh, also work in the hospital space a lot and even pharma and device. Um, this is fun. People, we joke all the time, wake me up in the middle of the night and ask me to speak about ophthalmology, psychiatry, internal medicine, I don't know, hearing, urgent care. We have worked with all of these specialties, every single one. Um, so we do this in our sleep. Um, we love what we do. Uh, this is something that's just the last thing before we get into the meat here, I think is fun. Um, I still remember one day I spoke for Invisalign at their annual sales meeting and the, the, um, Lady there gave us great introduction. You know, Stuart's done this, he's done that, he's done this, he's done that. But most importantly, he's number one on Google, <laughs> which to this day I think is a fun story because that's how important being number one on Google is. And so the reason why I mentioned we practice what we preach as an agency, uh, I'm not. I'm sure there probably are people out there with more as an agency that have more visitors, but I don't know of any. Uh, so every month we have about 51,000 visitors on our website. Um, that are coming to us from Google were super heavy SEO'd. And that's exactly how I founded this company. Um, 12, 14 years ago in 2006, I thought, hey, I wonder if I could start an agency with just a website and SEO. So again, this is something I love. Uh, it's in my blood. I um, uh, jumped for joy when Matt Cuts announced the disavowal tool at PubCon one year. The SEO geeks in the room or in the webinar will know what that means. Um, I thought, how did I ever get here? <laughs> and uh, for example, one of our other SEOs works for Bruce or came, used to work for Bruce Clay. I've been through the Bruce Clay training. So you won't see too many uh, CEOs that, that embrace SEO like I do. I just love this topic. So anyway, let's get into the fundamentals. Um, and again, we'll talk, if, even if you're from one of the um, super sophisticated SEOs that are on the line today, recognize that um, Jonathan will be applying even the fundamentals to what that means to your world. So we'll try to make this work for everybody. This is a favorite thing I remember from being, I was in first grade when I heard this, I still first or second grade. Um, 
my gym teacher said, gentlemen, this is a football. And I'm like, that's dumb. And then I found out later it's a Vince Lombardi quote. <laughs> so that's how uh, Vince Lombardi would start every season uh, at the basics, the fundamentals. And the fundamentals with SEO are really important because you're not going to be successful if you're you know, worrying about things, the sophisticated things like you know, schema and all these other things you can get into if you don't have good content, right? So we see that a lot of times people try to make up for, you know, missing the fundamentals by just doing the ultra sophisticated stuff or the more sophisticated things. If you don't have the fundamentals going, it's not gonna be effective. So SEO, just for clarity, I do have to do a little bit of um, uh, remedial work here just to get everybody on the same page. Um, the SEO essentially is the process of getting traffic from organic or natural search engine results meaning you're not paying uh, Google any money for this. Um, uh, usually you have to pay people to get you there, but uh, you're not paying Google directly for this. So this is something that Google is giving to you essentially as a free service from their point of view. You can't write to Google and complain that you're not showing up. It's like, do you want to be, all you can do is say you want to be listed or not. Um, and that's really the, the extent of it. So one of the things we talk about a lot with the difference here is with SEO, um, you can pray for clicks with SEO or you can pay for clicks with paid search. And so we'll describe that in a minute. The, um, uh, when we talk about Google, there's a reason. Uh, there are for sure other search engines out there. I double checked this because I hadn't looked at this recently. Um, about a year and a half ago, Google had two thirds of the audience. Now it's up to 88%. So they are just the dominant beast. And I can't think of any time when we, um, you know, as we're building SEO strategy where we do something that, you know, works for Bing and it doesn't work for Google. Google is, you know, you try to get Bing too, but you don't ever, if you had to make a decision, it's pretty clear where you're going to spend most of your energy. Uh, Google has the vast majority of search engine share. Uh, again, for those of you that are new to this category, I'm going to fly through this because this is an advanced SEO webinar, but just to catch us up. So I mentioned earlier, pay-per-clicks versus prey. So that up there at the top, those are what we call pay-per-click or paid search ads. That's a whole other webinar. No time to discuss that at all. That's a science in and of itself. Uh, number two down below there, Google My Business. We call that local search or the lovingly know that as the map pack. Uh, we will describe that today. That is a really, really important search engine optimization. We will be talking about that today. And then the natural search results, um, that's also super important. And the, you've seen these before. And every search looks a little different. These are kind of how it basically lays out. Notice on desktop how that worked out. This is above the fold, we call this. Um, I was at least able on my computer to see the full map path. Then you get into natural search results. On mobile, um, which is hugely important, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, the paid ads get more real estate because you just have less real estate to work for. So paid ads are even more important on the mobile. And then you get into the map path and then you can see it takes a long time to get to the listings on mobile. Um, so one of the things that we are going to talk about here is to keep in mind that winning on Google is uh, always changing or the rules to win on Google are always changing. And so, John, do you want to talk about this a little about like the history of this and why we care? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I distinctly remember in 2011 when Panda came out and some of the ripples that caused when I was working at agency and some of the shifts we had to make. Uh, I could kind of get into each one of these. Ultimately, the the important thing to learn from this and all the changes that have happened is that it's been a steady um, change to improve the search results, the quality of the search results, and try to understand 
what people are actually searching for. So a lot of the more recent updates, you know, the, the BERT and the Rank Brain updates have a lot to do with interpreting and understanding what you've been actually trying to search for and delivering a better result. And Penguin Panda, that was a lot has to do with like in, improving the quality of which how, the, the algorithm and how they select things to be ranking. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of uh, big improvements over the last 10 years. Um, and the more recently, I think that applies to a lot of the industries that we're talking with right now is the medic update, which had kind of a, a big impact for probably many of you. If, if any of you have been watching your, your, your analytics over 2008, 2000, uh, 2018, 2019, kind of an up and down a little bit as they're updating their quality guidelines that had a lot to do with eat, which we'll get into as well as, um, some of the, your life, your money type search results. So again, we'll talk more about that, but it's, uh, it's again, the primary thing to remember is that it's been a steady climb to improve the overall quality of search results for the user. Yeah, one of the things that um, when I was, last time I was at the Google ca uh, campus up in um, uh, Silicon Valley, talking to engineers, it just reminds me, and we talk about this all the time about how just insanely important user experience and relevancy is to them. And so they're very public about this, but it's kind of a culture. It's kind of a, almost a religion about being relevant results because the entire uh, billions and billions and billions of dollars, you know, the vast majority of it's coming from paid search and that's coming from having a good user experience and a good search experience and being credible, trustworthy results. I should add on Medic, um, which is the nickname it was given, Google views healthcare as particularly important. And so, uh, because the stakes are so high. So Google has a special interest in making the healthcare results credible, um, particularly in this world we're in today, credibility is not always assured. So um, it's very, very important to Google to have credibility. And there's various niches where they're even more focused on, um, you know, providing the best possible results just because of um, the information out there hasn't always been so good. So they really are looking for ways of looking for authority, um, and expertise and trust to know these are legitimate results. So as we drill down into this on-page, off-page and local SEO, uh, that's really how a lot of people in the business will refer to this. It's how we think about it. Again, I'm gonna talk about some of the fundamentals and then John, please jump in with you know, the, the uh, enterprise level point of view. So on the page means essentially it's things that you can control on your website, stuff that's directly on the website itself. Um, and this is where you know, really you always begin and we'd be completely remiss if we jumped straight into the fun, sexy, at least for us nerds, John, <laughs> the fun, sexy, um, you know, technical stuff without talking about content. And really, you know, from the very first times I began learning about SEO back when, you know, this was a budding field, you know, we'd go to conferences and it's like, well, it's all about content. And so there's a lot of varieties of content here. Um, you know, just showing a few of them. These are probably the main ones. You know, you have website pages, blog posts, ebooks, you know, video, podcast. Um, frequent um, long-time subscribers to my blog will note I give you all those things, right? Blog posts, we have web pages, we do ebooks, we do um, video, sometimes podcast, uh, webinars. So all this stuff, these are basics. John, tell us about from the large or the enterprise level um, some of the important things for our viewers to know. 
Yeah. So at the enterprise level, this is oftentimes something that can be very difficult. I, you know, obviously we want to make sure that you, content is unique, and we'll talk more about that later in the in the presentation here. However, sometimes stamping things out for different types of doctors, different types of locations, you might run into situations where things are getting a little bit cookie cutter. Um, it, I encourage everyone on the call here to try to find creative ways to come up with unique and really interesting content, understanding your users, understanding your patients, and finding ways to make your site not just this kind of like business card for the business, but also a resource, utilizing things like white papers, blog posts, you know, eBooks, videos if possible, right? All of this creates a, an overarching kind of uh, content ecosphere that they can engage with. So it builds trust, obviously increases your authority, and shows your expertise, again, getting back to eat. So it's something you really want to spend time on. I know it can be difficult when you have like, let's say 900 locations, but it is a worthwhile endeavor. So when we talk about the technical SEO, um, super important here. So it's funny, title, again, um, I don't have time to go into detail today, but title tags are essentially the, uh, what each page is, uh, your titling, it's the title, it's the, and there's a specific way you want to do that. Description tags are theoretically the tags that you want uh, Google to show in the search engine results page. Uh, mobile responsiveness we'll talk about a little bit later. Alt tags are the, uh, when you mouse over a photo and you see a little word coming up, that's essentially saying that um, it's describing for, in theory at least for the disabled, uh, what is on that photo uh, to interpret that. Uh, we get into H1, H2, um, those are for headlines, a specific way of coding. Uh, links with anchor text means having the uh, words, the keywords in the anchor text, uh, the navigation, the footer, link structure. This is an example of what we mean by link structure, um, you know, healthcaresuccess.com slash seminar slash agenda. So the URLs need to be designed both for humans and for machines. Uh, XML sitemap, you know, security, the higher levels of security, um, you know, how good of a URL you have. These are all, this is the everyday stuff. And again, John, I think you know the the, the pros on the uh, line are very familiar with these things, but maybe give us some insights from what your experience when you're dealing with 900 locations, some of the challenges that you come up with. Yeah, so you know, obviously a lot of this stuff we would consider uh, table stakes, best practices, right? Things that you really need to be doing to make sure that your site is in its best possible shape. When you work at a scale, some of this stuff becomes, there's limitations. You might run into situations where you're getting title tags punched out uh, across you know, dozens and hundreds and thousands of pages and making those unique can be difficult. Uh, similarly, alt tags, when content is being potentially, there is a uh, workflow of editors and publishers throughout your CMS and getting everyone to be on the same page about how to utilize alt, alt tags to enable both the, um, the visually impaired to understand what those images are, but also Google, because Google's still just a dumb robot, can't, can't understand what images usually are, so you have to tell them. So these are things that you really have to be aware of when you're working at scale, because the more you have to do things in large amounts, the, the fewer uh, requirements you're allowed, right? So make sure that when working with your development teams and working with your uh, CMS managers, that a lot of these things are are hitting a checklist. That you're you're saying, hey, listen, semantic markup is really important for you know Google to understand what the content is, the hierarchy of the information. Do we have that set up? Is there something here that is enabling us to ensure that we are wrapping H1s, H2s, H3s, and what have you around the content? Similarly, with a footer navigation, all of the things that you might get into that have something to do with uh, the way Google crawls and understands your site. 
don't let that go just because it's difficult because rolling it out across 900 to 1000 or you know even more than that um, properties online um, becomes difficult. So one of the things that's interesting about this, uh, John, is that, you know, when I'm, um, it's funny, there are, SEO is such a hard category because so many people don't, unless you're a professional, it's hard for people to judge horseflesh, right? And so, so often I have, um, we'll have businesses reach out to us and you mentioned table stakes a moment ago and, you know, we'll do a quick audit. We'll notice their title tags aren't, don't even exist or they have the same title tag across every page. Like they've been paying for SEO and they haven't done the, the whoever they're working with um, is either just outright stealing or 100% incompetent because, you know, to not have title tags uh, on a site done correctly is kind of like a surgeon not scrubbing up before surgery. It doesn't matter what you do after that. Right. And I just stop the audit, right, John? When I'm looking at somebody now audit, if they don't have the title tags, I just say, forget it. This is, it's crap. Yeah. It can't be any good because you would mess it I, usually there's a much deeper issue. If you're missing title tags, it's almost like you know that almost everything else is probably not going to be set up correctly. I mean, it's it's yeah. one of those things. It's always an awkward conversation for us when we meet with a client who is feeling, you know, mediocre to okay about their current uh, provider. Yeah, it, it can be a tough, tough conversation. Um, design for mobile first. Um, just, uh, we're not going to read every bullet on here. I can just tell you that um, you know, obviously we have numbers of clients that we work with and, um, with overall, I would say about two thirds of searches are that are for our clients are coming from mobile, um, on, um, more consumer friendly kinds of services, even a much higher percentage, 70 to 80% on things like cancer, reproductive endocrinology, um, alcohol, drug, and rehab a little bit, uh, maybe 60% instead of 75, 80 because they're, those are more contemplate searches. But even for something like, you know, alcohol drug rehab, where you're talking tens of thousands of dollars, they still tend to be more mobile than they are desktop. Um, John, any comments on this one? Yeah, I mean, you in, in healthcare, there's gonna be different types of uh, research that, uh, you know, patients, customers might be doing. In commoditized markets, dentistry is a really great example, right? That's one of those things that you have to assume Almost all of your patients in some form have, have tried to access your ability or your, your websites through mobile. And what we found at, you know, at my prior uh, experience is that it was something like 80 to 90%. It was a crazy high number. And with, you know, that, that forced us to change, think differently about how we were designing things. A lot of the times in the past, and this is just history because we've been working this way for so long, we would mock things up in a desktop format. And we had to change our thinking. We had to turn it upside down and say, listen, I don't want to see desktop. I want to see what it looks like mobile first. Then we can go back and retrofit it as we need to. But you really need to start thinking about it in those terms moving forward, because uh, even those non-commoditized healthcare markets, everyone is able to access, thing, access things through their mobile device and generally will be moving forward. Yep. Um, another thing we see a lot, and this is a uh, uh, bane to a lot of businesses, is site speed. Google has been... Uh, more than clear that they want to see site speed. Um, they want to see mobile responsiveness and they want to see site speed. And this is a tool that you can go, it's a free tool. You can go try this on your own website if you haven't already, web.dev. It's a Google tool. And I asked prior to this meeting, I asked some of the attendees to uh, volunteer their URL for a quick scan. And uh, this is just one of the ones that volunteered. So you can see performance is speed. And that's 11. 11, as you might guess, in the red on a scale of 100 is bad. So uh, we see this all the time. And again, it is super challenging. And for the sake of um, speed here, because we have so much to cover in 
so little time here. But John, do you find is that a common thing at the enterprise level? No, it's, it's, it's usually common at the enterprise level. And it's usually silly things too. Sometimes it isn't immediately obvious. Like they're telling us certain things about, oh, we want to asynchronously load the site, maybe load some of the stuff to make it interactive before it's fully loaded. But, you know, in past times I've found where people were having us or the, 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 the team was having us upload packets, huge font packets with like Arabic and other things like that that weren't being used for the site. And as a result, it was slowing down the site by seconds. And it, you have to really take a deep dive. There's things that it's going to tell you to do on these types of tools, but you have to dig even deeper on the individual packets your, your, your patients are downloading or your users are downloading and find out, is there anything here we can cut back on? A lot of the times you'll find that the creative, the fonts, the images, these are things that you can slice back quite a bit and provide the exact same user experience. Yeah. So that's, again, these are fundamentals. Again, it's not that it's, it's easy necessarily, but if you're not doing this, it's there's no point in going to the other stuff. Like if you've got a big speed problem, we need to fix it. And even on WordPress in particular, for a lot of um, practices, they still have WordPress. We use WordPress a lot and it's not the fastest platform. And so there's workarounds technically for this. Um, and if your site speed is slow, it's a problem. So let's talk about off-page. So those were all briefly, again, we could have spoken about that topic for an hour. Um, so we're gonna talk about off-page SEO here. So that means these are things that you're not directly on your website. This, so another way to look at it is off website. So these are um, things beyond your immediate control. So the first thing is I want to tell a quick story. I, again, there's a SEO nerd very deep inside of me. The, I actually read this book, um, how Google started, what the story was there. And the takeaway that I tell audiences about this is um, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the insight they had. The, what made the billions and billions and billions of dollars on Google uh, was one simple insight that the most important website, or I'm sorry, the most important research papers are later linked to or recited by others. So in other words, if you write a research paper and nobody ever cites it, probably not so important. But if you know the leading scientists come back and everybody cites it as a fundamental, then that has credibility because others not outside of your control are citing it. So the major thing they came away with was instead of having just loads of directories trying to figure out democracy, uh, it's more of a meritocracy. And the idea was that if you have lots of links and you must be more valuable. Now, naturally, Black Hat SEOs figured this out very quickly. And if you, by the way, if you go back to the original Google patent, it talks about this. Um, that, you know, there became link farms and all kinds of spammy, you know, bad habits. And so today, um, Google's not stupid. So they're very good at determining, you know, is the site that's a referring, is it popular? Is it an authority site? Uh, does it have authority in the field? Is it relevant? Um, are the, are, and then it, they also consider, are the links fresh? In other words, links from 20 years ago or 10 years ago aren't as good as they are if they're new now. The anchor text we referred to earlier, the quantity of links, all these matter. Um, but the key there is to earn them. And um, so to have really good content, and that comes back to that over and over again. And so uh, uh, one of the things, I'll just give a quick example. Um, a number of years ago, uh, I was interviewed by the Wall Street Journal and the AMA about uh, physician liaisons, because for some reason this had broken the USA Today, and it was almost a controversy. Who knew that private practices essentially had drug reps out selling to, you know, the primary care, selling to primary care offices to try to um, motivate referrals to their business. So anyway, what was interesting about that was uh, I was cited 
uh, my name and my company was cited, but not linked to directly with the Wall Street Journal, but that's good, right? That's nice. But with the AMA, um, they didn't want to link to us directly either. But I said, hey, I have a special report that might be great for your doctors, um, you know, relevant to this topic. And they said, great, well, we'll link to that. <laughs> so there I got a link from the AMA. So that's a way, I love that story because that's just a way to get really good backlinks from, you know, obviously credible sources, uh, relevant sources. It's not easy though, is it, John? No, it's really not. It's, um, it's an effort in itself. It's, it's almost a, a PR effort to some extent, You're really trying to sell your brand in an online space. So a lot of ways that we've done that in the past had a lot to do with relationships that, that currently exist, these partnerships that you have and how you've provided resources to them in the past. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's a, it's a, I pat your back, you pat mine type situation. You really do want to look for those opportunities where it's clear that they're referencing you, but they haven't provided a referral link in some way. Um, it's, it's sort of best practice at this point. If, if you are mentioning another organization or you're mentioning some resources from another place, you really want to cite your source. And that, um, that is what you would use in those or in those discussions. And I think if they, if you have anything like that currently happening, but there isn't any referral link, it doesn't necessarily always have to be like what we would call a do follow link. Even a no follow link has to some extent some value. Uh, I encourage you guys to work with your partners and make sure that there is some kind of reciprocal link back to to your online properties. You know, it's funny. Last uh, couple of weeks ago, I did. Some of you may have been there. A webinar with Binary Fountain sharing some data. And sure enough, I checked and they hadn't linked to me. I said, hey, can you guys link to me? Oh, of course. And so there's an example of, you know, we, we had a good partnership. We we're friends. Um, you know, we provided a good um, uh, experience for their audience as well as our own. Uh, but, you know, we link to each other because we're both credible sources. And that's a good thing. Um, lo local SEO, again, that's another, you know, weekend seminar. We can talk about that. But today, for the purposes of 45 minutes, we're going to go pretty quickly here. Local SEO goes back to, remember we talked about the Google Map app is really where the focus of most local SEO is. However, there's many, many sites uh, with not quite as important as Google directory, uh, but local SEO we're focusing today mostly on the map pack. So the map pack to show up in the Google My listing or Google My Business listing. And uh, again, you've seen those all the three, typically there's three businesses listed on the uh, search results. So if you look up Doctor Near Me, you'll see in most cases, there's gonna be the Google Map Pack. And the question is, well, how do you get there? And that's super valuable real estate. Data varies all across the board. Um, I don't think there's one single authority, but a lot of times I've seen numbers like you know, 19, 20%, 10, 20% would be the paid search ads, get words of the clicks happen. Um, those are high intent though. So those can be really good clicks. But maybe up to half of the other searches or the remaining searches are um, map related. So whether direct on those three uh, businesses or they click for more results. So map pack is vitally important to this. Now it's important to note that the map pack or the Google My Business team is different than the one that works in the natural results. They actually have different algorithms. However, um, they share data, they, so they're related. So showing up, doing a lot of the stuff we talked about on the website helps your map pack and vice versa. So um, the, for the purposes of the data, again, I'm not gonna read all these bullets, but I'll just talk about some of the most important stuff. The citations are the online references. And the, the key thing here, we talk about this in the trade, the NAP, NAP, and that means the name, address, and phone number. And so often uh, it is inconsistent. The name, address, and phone number is inconsistent. And we're gonna show an example of that in just a moment. So Google, the problem is there's many data sources online 
And Google has a really hard time determining what's real, like what's an authoritative trust. And when you have 20 different sources, all presumably trustworthy, they all say different things. It's very, very difficult. And so Google tends to um, reward people who make things easy for them and have consistent online uh, citations. Another couple of things that really matter, uh, it really especially making sure that your Google My Business profiles are claimed they're filled out appropriately. Um, they are, uh, you know, you can, all the data you can put in there, the better. So more photos, details, like whether you accept credit cards, as much as you can fill that out as possible. And again, this sounds like it's easy. It's not. Even for a single location practice, you know, you try to claim your listing and that doctor left and now you don't know what happened to that doctor and uh, that listing's floating out in space. How do you claim that? How do you get it back? Um, Google will send a postcard to verify you really do own that listing, but your staff thinks it's junk mail and throws it out, or maybe you're, maybe you're virtual and there is nobody to fill out the postcard, right? This, this is, so now imagine that when you have hundreds or even dozens, it can get very, very complex. But making sure you've got strong profiles, making sure that you have consistent results, um, even at a single location is difficult, multi is hard, right, John? Yeah, multi-location can be very difficult because what you're doing is you're trying to organize thousands and thousands of pieces of data. And, you know, what, what comes into play at, uh, at you know, in, in an organization with many, many locations is your source of truth. How are you pushing that data? How does it get to where it needs to be? And how is that organization then pushing it out to the right locations and making sure that it's consistent? Uh, things that don't get updated very often and cause big problems for organizations are like office hours or which doctors or medical professionals exist in those locations. So it, it, it's something that's worth spending a considerable amount of time to solve. Uh, a lot of, I've seen many organizations um, that don't get this right. And as a result, the impact is downstream with reviews and with unhappy customers and patients. Um, I, I, it just, it really can't be undersold how important it is to get this right. And with organizations I've done this for, where we, they started out with manual updates or they found a way to, they were doing it, they were trying their best on it and they found ways to automate this process or to inter, you know, connect this through API to whatever tool sets they're using. What they found was a major uptick, just a huge uptick in the amount of uh, uh, views and clicks that they got from Google Map Pack. And of course that can't be undersold either because any organization has a local business that is to say if it's like a dental office, doctor's office, what have you. Um, that is going to be hugely vital to driving traffic. Yep. So a couple other points before I move on from this. Google loves having you go to a Google property. So many patients now are going straight to this and not even going to the practice website. Mm -hmm. So think about the power of that. This is an important piece of real estate that you cannot, you can claim, but you can't truly ever own, right? Um, is in the hands of somebody else. And so it's extreme. It's like having beachfront property that's a door to your practice that you don't, really own, you can only influence. So it's really an important factor. Um, ratings is something else um, to, before we move on here that's really important. So Google, again, is big on ratings. And I may have mentioned in past webinars, when ratings first came out, I used to get interviewed a lot about, you know, because everybody's like, oh my gosh, we're gonna rate doctors like a pizza. And, I, and I, my comment was, yeah, get over it because patients love ratings, doctors or um, Google loves ratings. This is not going to go away. And clearly it has not. The um, uh, Now, though, if you're putting best, um, you want to describe that about uh, looking for best doctor near me? What kinds of, how do the ratings matter, John? 
Yeah, so ratings are really important just on a basic level because Google's determining local ranking to some extent based on relevance, distance, and prominence. And prominence is like how often you're getting reviews, what are people saying about your business and other things that around that. But you know, there's also this extra piece, which is just a nice factoid that I think everyone should know. If you don't have a four plus star review score overall average on Google My Business, you will not show for searches like top doctor near me, top dentist near me, or best dentist near me, or best uh, cardiologist near me. Those searches are only available to those with a four plus star review score average. Pretty amazing. And one final note here on your Google, in particular, Google has admitted or has stated, Google's often very cagey about what is and what is not in the algorithm, but Google has actually come out and said that responding to reviews is a ranking factor. So good or bad, it's better to have good reviews, but it's also, um, even if you have bad reviews, to respond to the reviews because they shows that you're serious about providing a good user experience. So I, uh, again, one of the volunteers that are, one of the people that signed up for this meeting uh, said, hey, you know, I'm willing to volunteer my own site as an example. And, you know, I picked the first, uh, they have multiple locations. I picked the first location on the website and we used a little tool here and lo and behold, um, essentially 100% listing inaccuracy. Either there were no listings at all on Yahoo, for example, uh, on MapQuest, uh, local.com, um, the, or the names were wrong. They had a doctor name in one case and the name of the practice in another case and the name of the practice again, but without the PC, um, different addresses on the location. And I wish I could say that this was uncommon, but it's by far the norm. And then we looked at reviews. And in this case, um, none of the ones that this tool pulled up had reviews. So this is not uncommon at all. Um, and, you know, today there's, we'll talk about this later. There's a variety of different, we partner with a number of different companies to help solve this problem. Uh, to do this at scale is brutal. We had um, a few years ago, a leading multi-location uh, oncology um, business was, we still work with it this day. But we spent, we had an intern spend about a year of our time trying to get this together for them. It was such a mess. Um, so today the tools are better, but uh, this is something that, um, you know, and you can look at on our website, we have this tool. So if you go to our website, there's, if you go to, I think it says listings under resources, it's the last pull down. You can do this for yourself, try it. It's actually on the website. And if you're not sure and you can't find it, just send us an email, we'll give you the tool. Um, but it's very helpful. John, like, you know, I have to feel it for you though, when you've got hundreds of locations and, you know, like I, the other day, my daughter was doing a school project. We had to go to a hardware store to get some tools and lo and behold, we drove all the way over there 20 minutes and they were closed and they had not updated their Google maps. Very unhappy father. Let's put it that way. <laughs> not to, and my daughter too, she's under deadline. Uh, do you have any, is there any magic sauce or is it just a lot of work? I mean, it is a good amount of work. It's, uh, it's, you know, first, again, it starts with that source of truth. Like you have to make sure that the data you have internally is accurate because it's often the case that people are trying to do their best to make it right. And the locations just don't give you the right information. So whoever's managing your marketing internally might be working with one hand tied behind their back because they're just not getting all the good information. Secondarily, updating this type of information is very, very time um, expensive, right? Like if you go into each individual one of these types of things, that could just be a full-time job for one FTE. You're just having this person updating and managing the profiles. So there's ways of, about improving that. 
but the reality is it is an important job because it has such an impact on your on your Google map pack and your rankings with Google My Business. So it's worth doing. There are ways to obviously speed this up. These are things that we're able to do. Um, other organizations can do that as well. But we would encourage you to to take a run through, take a look at this and then, you know, run some searches on your own, you know, based on what, you know, your local location, drop a pin, have your phone nearby, run a search for something. If you're not showing in the map pack and then you go to the map, you're not even showing the top 10, you got a problem. And you yep. need to start looking at finding ways of fixing it. Yep. So um, I mentioned platforms a moment ago. So there are platforms out there where you can monitor reviews, generate reviews, publish reviews, uh, respond, get insights to it. Again, we work with a couple of leading providers we work with depending on the case. Um, you know, that this is again another webinar. I'm not going to spend any detail on this, but just know that this can be done. Uh, everything put together in one place. Um, and uh, again, we partner with uh, some leading providers there. The uh, enterprise SEO. So we've talked about that was just fundamentals. So in our remaining 10 minutes or so we have left before we get to QA, um, we're going to do this pretty quickly as well. But we want to talk about yet more. Uh, things that are common. So, John, like, um, you know, I'm going to just leave this part here. What John and I talk about this, and really at the end of the day, you know, when you get to multi location practices and businesses, uh, hospital systems, and even like I haven't mentioned pharma and like health plans, but this just gets more complex. When you get to the enterprise level, um, it gets much more complex. And on a localized basis, you have competitors for every location, uh, you've got data management problems. You know, we talked about reviews and reputation. Um, the, um, you know, it's just critically important to think about scaling and John, like what's your 30 seconds on the scaling issue? Like is any secrets you can share on that? Yeah. Um, scaling issues, uh, man, when you, when you're, you're starting from something where you maybe start just a few at a time, a lot of the problems with these, some of these organizations, they started uh, small and then grew very, very big and very quickly. And they never really adapted that well to that size, um, uh, finding ways to deploy that data in a streamlined and you know, connected way to some of your partners is really one of the, the, the key important features. Also finding ways to include like reporting, online reputation management, online listings. Like how do you know when something's not right? How are you able to bubble that up? Building those reports, building that, that, um, that connectivity to what's going on at the ground level is really important. If you don't know what's happening, you could have offices that are offline for, for months, you know, from Google Map Pack standpoint, they're gonna see a tremendous drop. Uh, ultimately, it's it's it comes back to things I've said before: strong sources of truth internally, finding ways to connect to partners or to some of these uh, tool sets um, in automated ways, um, and delivering that content on a day-to-day, -day, if not hour-to-hour basis, if you can. For sure. And that the last comment on that is is that um, you know when when we start looking at these issues, we're going to get into the next issues more. It just becomes harder. One of the we're working with a um, uh, 40 to 50 ish location Durham practice, dermatology business. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the things that's really important is when you get into these kinds of businesses is to make sure there's somebody on their end that can handle the details. Like we're the agency, we can make the magic happen, but we need, there has to be, we can't, we can't possibly know what's happening in Poughkeepsie, right? You know, you have to tell us. And so you do need somebody on the client side to be able to pull this info together. Uh, schema, I mentioned earlier, it's not new anymore, but essentially the idea with schema is that the Google is huge on artificial intelligence, machine learning, and Google really is, the goal is to make the machines understand what the page is about, like as a, as a human would. And schema is a way of structuring the data 
to help Google interpret what's actually on the page. John, any specific ideas on this one? Yeah, so schema was, um, it, it, it's, it's a really interesting development in our online world here. It's, it's helped to provide sort of an abstract for robots that understand what the page is about, what content's going on there, ways to wrap uh, contextualizing information around you know, basic content or images or what have you that you have on your site. So it's, it's really an important factor. It's funny because it's not really a ranking factor in many respects, but it does fall to the SEOs to often take care of this because it does improve search results so to speak, it does pull in opportunities for rich, rich text, rich results. Uh, sometimes you can get star review scores in there if you wrap the right microdata around and structured data around uh, your uh, testimonials on your site, for instance. Uh, some very basic stuff that you have to do. I mean, you really have to make sure that it's rolled out. When you're doing it at scale, you're really trying to find ways to do it with variables because you're usually probably you know, setting up a JSON-LD tag or something that has all the information about your, your business, but there's gonna be different information in all those fields because every business is slightly different, right? So you have to come up with, you know, you have to have a really smart uh, solutions architect or developer to work with your SEO and enable these types of uh, enhancements to your, your CMS or your, your web properties to enable a, a quick streamline of this. You can go really deep on this. I don't wanna to get too deep on it, but there's like lots of ways you can en enhance your site with schema, some of which is worth more than others. But you know, we're happy to talk to you guys about that if you ever have any questions. Very good. So, um, and these again, we talked earlier, like this is sort of the next level of, um, well, on the enterprise level. So we talked about the basics like title tags and descriptions. These are some of the things we work to um, we don't have time to go into detail on all these. I guess we haven't really talked about, I don't know, pillows and clusters. You want to spend a second on that? Yeah. So this is kind of a concept behind the way you organize content. Pillars and clusters have to do with, you know, main category pages, things that, uh, you know, maybe it might be a treatment center. So it's like rehab um, or alcohol rehab might be like a, a pillar uh, page, but then clustered behind that are all of the symptoms and all of the, the ways in which you might treat it. So you're clustering all of that behind that and you end up with a hierarchy. I often use this metaphor. It's like a good website kind of needs to look a little bit like a Christmas tree and it's a page organization, the home page at top and everything kind of filters down. Uh, you really don't want to end up with a hockey stick as a website where you have your home page and then everything's just right off the home, right off the home page, And it's not clustering appropriately, which, it, you know, it, there's two reasons for that. Obviously it's a really unique crawl path and it gives kind of a breadcrumb path through to the concept. So they, Google understands you went from the homepage to a topic and to the subtopics within that topic. So it's all contextualized, but it also helps from the standpoint of building out the authority of those individual topics and linking back to those other pages. It really just feeds authority back to the homepage in a really strong way. Excellent. Uh, one of the things we talk about is duplicate content. And this is an example of uh, years ago or a couple of years ago, we were at one of our seminars and somebody said, yeah, I'm paying for SEO and look at our great SEO. And so we did a quick Google and ran it through a tool called Copyscape. You can look that up. There's a free version, cheap. You can look at it, um, copyscape.com. And lo and behold, boom, this SEO company was using the exact same content with they're in the hearing business with all of their hearing clients. So not only was it not helping them, it was hurting them because duplicate content in the eyes of Google is essentially plagiarism. Mm -hmm. And you know, Google feels like there's very little at best um, added value by duplicate content. And at worst, it's plagiarism. And when you get into multi-location businesses, again, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, become very difficult. Uh, uh, we see this all the time. And John, that's, you've seen that a lot at scale as well, correct? That's right. And it's not just multi-location because even with pharma or device type pages, 
which you know almost breaks into e-commerce, so to speak. The way you roll out that content oftentimes has this templated format with content that's more or less the same, except for maybe a device information or specific related to that particular formulary. It, that can be a problem as well. And we know that that you some sometimes have to roll it out that way, but there are ways to get around it. And with something like this, this is just egregious. This is probably if I were to scroll down to the footer of each one of these pages, I wouldn't be surprised. If there's a link back to the agency, right? So it's almost it's both duplicate content and a link farm. So um, just totally black hat. Yeah. So that's and uh, yeah, we def definitely don't want to do that anymore. That's not a good thing. Voice search. Um, the key here is just to set up your um, uh, pages so that it's good to answer questions. Uh, I want to make sure we have some time for a question and answer. So I'm gonna, let me just leave this part here, John, and we can go into more detail if anybody has questions in the Q&A section. So essentially, the big secret there is to think through about how people ask questions is really and develop content, strong content around that, because that's the best place to go for voice search. Uh, featured snippet, uh, you may have seen this, we referred to this as in the trade as position zero. This is when Google picks a very um, uh, good, strong synopsis of a common question and shows that above everything else. We love that. This is an example of uh, one of our uh, pages, Evergreen Forest is about how to write a marketing plan for healthcare. Uh, it's in the featured snippet results. And this is where Google gets its voice search from typically, right, John? So this is a, a, a something that as you get more sophisticated, you can purposefully try to win these kinds of positions. Uh, knowledge graph, um, you have just seconds on knowledge graph, John? Yeah, I mean, Knowledge Graph is really an interesting thing that Google's done. It's sort of, I like to think of it as like Google's own personal encyclopedia, trying to understand the relationship that certain things have to other things. And what they will do is provide this Knowledge Graph box or this knowledge panel on specific topics. You can see here for encephalitis, but there's also one for healthcare success. And there should be one for every one of your, your businesses. And if you don't have one of these set up, you've got a big problem there too. And that's just a local thing. But yeah, every concept, everything that's out there, Google has information in the Knowledge Graph connected to other things it's related to. Yeah. Uh, COVID? Yeah. So this is something we added in kind of near the end because we realized we should probably mention something about COVID given that's been kind of a big topic lately. Um, there's some of these locations, some, some healthcare locations need to have automatic updates about COVID cases on their site available. That can be a, a, a real... In, really difficult process because what you're talking about is automating a process of updating content onto your site nearly every day, if not on a regular basis throughout the day. Um, this is something that you have to start thinking about pretty quickly. Uh, if it's a requirement for you, if it's not, it should be something you might st still want to think about as a healthcare uh, organization because others are doing it and they're kind of leading the way on it. Uh, schema markup, this helps, you know, you, there's ways to mark up individual pages you have about what your protection policies are or what, what your protocols are. And you can add schema. Google just recently came up with it that says here, we'll pull this information into whatever other place you happen to be online if you wrap this schema around that content. Um, yeah, it's telemedicine too, same thing. Really, this is a new area, a new field for a lot of people. And there's ways to you know, improve your site for ranking for those types of searches. And I encourage you guys to do so. Great. You know, it's funny, on the automated, we have a large uh, skilled nursing uh, business uh, that we work with in many, many locations. And they have laws they have to comply with. And so COVID cases and so forth, they have to update daily. And our programmers had to create an automated program so they could just simply upload data information. Because again, at scale, you, it's, we can't go in and update, you know, 100 or 60 or however many locations. We need to figure out a way to do it. So the I'll close the thoughts here. SEO takes time. 
it's a marathon that never ends. Um, you know, we've been doing, uh, once you gain a competitive advantage, it's, um, something you want to protect. You know, we've been doing, we started our business with SEO in mind, uh, to this day, we put tons of energy into it. Um, it's where we get most of our business. Um, you know, I talk about when people ask me, what do we know about SEO? It's like, well, our websites over the years has brought in tens of millions of dollars of business to our company. And, you know, cause that's where most of our clients come from is calling us off the internet. So it's a, a perfect long-term investment. Um, it's and right now, there's a lot of other things were in pause and John's company did that as well, but a lot of our clients have where, you know, during COVID, especially at the beginning back in March, we paused all the paid search, we paused all the advertising and just doubled down on SEO because by definition, SEO is long-term. So this is a great thing to be doing now as we sort of, you know, wait for enough people to take a vaccine to get us out of this mess. So we're looking at spring, summer, next year, sometime, it's going to be a while. So this is a great time to put this long-term investment to work. Um, last thing before I get to Q and a, some of the things people ask us, well, how do you find somebody? And, you know, you can read here, you can read these kinds of things, but I think it's important to make sure that, um, yeah, out of all these things, I would say that if you're looking for an SEO partner and certainly like, you know, people ask us sometimes after these webinars, John, they say, Hey, do you know anybody good? It's like, what are we chopped liver here? <laughs> it's like, yes, we do this, but whether you use us or somebody else, I would just make sure they do have the healthcare expertise. There's lots of ways to get tripped up regulation wise inadvertently and make mistakes. Uh, I would recommend that they have through enterprise levels, certainly demand they have experience with that. That's a whole different thing. Um, if they uh, understanding, um, you know, their reputation. And one last comment is, especially on the low end, if you're seeing some guy saying, we're gonna do SEO for you for $700 a month, just pass. <laughs> this real SEO requires time, people, smarts. Uh, there's no way around it. SEO is labor intensive knowledge business and it just is what it is. So I'd like to open up the floor for questions. Um, that was a race, we did pretty good. Um, we've got uh, three minutes left, but John and I can hang out a little longer. So for those of you that can make it past the hour, uh, Kyle, let's go ahead and start the uh, questions. Sure, we have uh, several questions here. And uh, let me start off with a question that uh, came in from Jake. His name is said, uh, I am suspicious of a number of SEO firms. Uh, some have said it takes two years to bring up rankings and others have said two months. So what's the truth and why the wide range of time? You want to take that one, John? So I, I sympathize with those uh, SEOs that you may have talked to that said two years because uh, they probably don't have very much confidence in their product. Um, the reality is it, 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 it does take time, right? It's not immediate. Like if someone says, I'm going to get you results within 30 days, I'm like, they might. But if they're promising the world, it's probably almost too much to, to too much to be believed. Um, I do think that we've worked with many clients, um, those that we've updated content and uh, site architecture stuff for. Generally speaking, we see big beginning of impact within 30 days, but real impact worth meant producing big reports for and that boards of directors are really happy about usually after about three months. So that's the time frame. We usually try to chunk our campaigns into phases, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase one usually is somewhere between one to two months, but really by phase two, after about three to four months is when we're getting ready to start doing a quarterly business review or a year uh, by, by yearly uh, business review that will show the impact. So no, you don't have to wait for two years. Uh, I think if, if you do this right and you spend the right type of money, have the right type of partner, you can get this done. Well, it's interesting too. It's like some some businesses have low hanging fruit, right? They may have lots of content. Um, it's not linked well together. It's not done well. 
So those are easier to make a big impact quickly because we've got something to work with. We're starting with a blank slate and there's a very thin content site on a bad URL, it's brand new, that's gonna take longer. But if you have a respected URL with tons of content, but technically it's, it's just garbage that we can make some big fixes fast, you'll get a bigger result. So it is case by case. Uh, but yeah, if you're here in two years, that's a long time. Um, but the, um, uh, I totally get it. And the problem is there are a lot of sleazy SEO firms. Let's just call it like it is. Um, there's people that do, you know, black hat techniques that can actually hurt you forever in the eyes of Google. Then you have to, we get that once in a while. We have to come and because we're very white hat. We like to do things very ethically. And, you know, sometimes we're engaged to clean up a mess somebody else left behind. So it is scary. I get it. Uh, Kyle, next question. Sure. And actually someone uh, just rang in with another uh, comment that's based on that. And they said, uh, this is from Marshall. Uh, how do you track SEO to see if it's improving? Yeah. Um, good question. So we, we use a number of tools, both, you know, there's rankings you want to track and that's sort of both to understand how you're improving across the areas that you're trying to rank for, but also as much as for carrot canary in the coal mine, you're looking to see if there's any major shifts up and down in that regard. But one of the uh, the best ways I find lately has been working within search Google Search Console, which provides uh, you know day to day measurement of how you're you're doing both on impressions in search, but also clicks. So you really want to be looking for that growth in impressions and clicks. Uh, I usually try to develop a report based on that data. I'll export some of that data out, develop my own reports in Excel uh, that show kind of the growth. And there there are ways statistical analyses to verify if there's a, um, a a variance that has to do with the work that you've done. This is getting into kind of the more advanced uh, mathematical work you might do to say, I did this and the result is because of me, not because of environmental factors. The fact is Google isn't, there's a whole hidden unknown data set, which is that Google isn't telling you why or how they're ranking things. They give you indications, but there's no, no direct cause and effect data that they can provide to you. So you have to pull that out yourself and make, uh, you know, relational, uh, uh, arguments for why what you did has created an impact. But usually it becomes pretty obvious if this is the first time working on a site, for instance, or there's a lot of work that you're doing or new de development of content, you will see big improvements in the uh, impression share that you're getting and the number of clicks that you're getting to your website. So by the way, one thing I want to say, because we've got a number of Q&A, and I'm, I'm, I've got time here, so we'll go ahead and go along. Uh, if you need to leave, um, just recognize that we can get the recording and slides and cover the rest of the Q&A later, though it looks like most of our audience is still here. So we've got, got their rapt attention. Mm -hmm. And also, if you are interested on the agency side of having us help you, uh, call us, John and I, or one of our teammates, depending on the situation, we'll jump on the phone with you and explore it. Um, so just let us know. Uh, next question, Kyle. Sure. Okay. We have a question from Katie. Uh, do ratings and reviews on different sites matter differently for SEO? Example. Are ratings on Google better than ratings on Yelp, et cetera? Um, better is an interesting way of describing it. I would say that for rankings on Google My Business, it is more important to have rating reviews on Google My Business than it would be on Yelp. However, Yelp has its own, you know, has its own traffic going to it. And so you don't want to ignore that. Um, I, 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 they, I've worked with Yelp for many years. Uh, they say that the reviews don't have any impact on their um, their search results. So far, I've, I see that to be true as well. So I, it's really just kind of a, a, the customer comes to, or the patient comes to vet and they're looking to see how your review scores are. You want to make sure that they're as positive as possible on Yelp. But I'd say that if you're working to develop a review management platform or some kind of uh, request for feedback to a third-party platform, focus that on Google My Business, 
that will get you rankings. I would say also that um, if you, uh, I did a webinar about a month and a half ago with Binary Founts, and they actually um, quantified this. And they said that the, the data shows that Yelp is becoming less and less important. Yelp is still important, but it's becoming less and less because Google back in the day, you know, when they were just getting started, showed lots of directory sites. And as things change, Google started showing less and less directory sites. And so they, I'm not saying they don't, they still do. But you notice Google My Business is a Google property, everybody else is everybody else. So it's, um, I forget the number of consumers that went to it. You can go back and find that webinar if you want to get the details, it's around. But uh, it is becoming less and less important. Google My Business is becoming more and more important. Well, Perfect. All right, uh, another question here from Lauren uh, regarding our listing scan that we talked about earlier. Uh, as a healthcare organization, how important is it to be listed in some of those listings? Uh, many I've not heard of before, and many of our millennial end users probably won't use some of those resources, examples, MapQuest or YP.com. Can we pick the top few we think our audience may utilize and be okay with that strategy? Or what are your thoughts around that? That's a great question. So yeah, some of the, the it's not so much about you're going to get, uh, we didn't even talk about this at all, but every, to me, every little hook in the sea is a hook in the sea, right? So if you have this, even if it's not usually known um, or not used very often, if it's a hook in the sea, I'll take it. So if you're doing it manually, then yes, you'll have to prioritize. If you're going to go through manually and pick and you're, you've got a single location practice, then maybe that's realistic. You can manually check the top 10 that you think are important and continually come back to them and you know, do it that way. The problem is that the data keeps changing. And so over time, because there's so many, it's kind of like imagine, I don't know where I come with my crazy analogies, but it's like imagine a river where you have you know, hundreds of tributaries. That's kind of like what this is like. So the listings online have different information sources coming from you know, the big uh, credit ratings companies or the, there's different list companies out there. There's a bunch of different sources. So your information will degrade over time. And so when, if you use one of the services that we work with, um, then you can, uh, you know, do this at scale and do, if you're going to do the top 10, you do all of them anyway. So it's like, it's easier to use a tool uh, again, especially this isn't as important for a single location business, although we do it for really all of our clients because it's a, it's a good value, but it's especially important when you have multiple locations. So that's a good question. And some, you know, just, you know, cannot be done through automated tools that are harder. So it gets really complicated really fast, but essentially the biggest thing is we want to avoid having uh, inconsistency or no, nothing there at all. It's a good question. Kyle? Sure. Uh, yes. Uh, another question here from Jack. What are some best practices for doing podcasts? <laughs> so I'm going to share, because I do a lot of a fair number of podcasts, and then I'll share some of my favorite secrets. And then, John, you can jump in if you have any additional. So, you know, we've been doing podcasts for years. Um, it's a big part of what we do. Um, we One of the great things about podcasts is that you get to talk to experts. So usually when I'm doing a podcast, um, I have been the guest on my own podcast once or twice, but usually I'm interviewing very, very smart people. So for example, a frequent guest uh, on my podcast is Dr. Jim Merlino, who is Chief Transformation Officer at Cleveland Clinic. And you know, what's great about that is I, as a you know expert in my field, keep learning from people like him. Uh, we develop relationships. So there's one part of it, it's just that. And you know, so we keep in contact and we do that. 
Um, another thing is, is the thought leadership about that because you have um, people on your podcast, you're getting exposed to really smart people. And it's, it's funny, as you get better and better guests, you get better and better guests. It sort of self builds itself. And so um, like, for example, last, uh, we haven't published it yet, but I just uh, got through interviewing Dr. Hassan uh, Teta about uh, patient experience in his book, The Art of Human Care. And so by doing this again, you're building your credibility, you're building your backing structure, you're building your audience. Um, so the key with podcasts is to put out good content. And I think it's important that whoever is your host be good at it to be able to you know, talk interactively. Another thing that's funny is that if you set it up right technologically, and it's a lot of work, ask poor Kyle, but there's multiple places where you can serve your podcast through. So Kyle, which ones are we on now? Some of the top ones. Okay. So we are on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Google podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We are on Podbean. We are on, let's see what else. iHeart as well. We're on iHeart. And what's interesting is by doing this, we actually ask our, our subscriber base, which ones do you want to follow? And ones like Podbean, which I've never even heard of, a fair number of people use. So it's like you give the people what you want. So what the podcast, another thing that's terrific about podcasts is that it's easy. You know, I don't have to prepare a deck. Um, I can have somebody on. We agree to what the topic is. I usually come up with about seven questions that are, you know, pertinent to the topic at hand. I keep it very conversational. We seem to get good response from it. So yeah, this is a fun topic. I like a lot. John, do you have anything to add to this one? Well, you know, when people come to me with podcasts or videos, they're saying, hey, how can I optimize this? And I'm like, okay, well, there's only a few fields you can really kind of manipulate. So I'm thinking from the standpoint, usually they're asking me not as the content creator, but as the, uh, like, how can I, now that I've created this content, make sure that people see it. So you really want to take some time to find a way to optimize these pages. Usually there's a description section, titling, how you do this. And, uh, certainly from the standpoint of how you blast this out to whatever your audience you're at. Um, you know, there's most of these are still, uh, most of these podcast type tool sets or video type uh, platforms have some kind of rudimentary search for how people can find these things. Make sure what they're looking for is in the title and the description of your podcast. Yeah, choose your, choose your podcast title wisely when you can, because um, that'll show up in search. Also transcripts, I forgot that. Mm -hmm. um, you should take a look at our website and uh, look for the, some of these podcasts. And we're in the process of reorganizing our data. I think, the, I don't know if the podcast is, uh, is still in our dropdown, uh, but at any rate, if you're not sure, send us an email. We'll send you an example of one or two. Go ahead, Kyle. Yes, another question here from John. Uh, what sites would you recommend to keep up on the latest SEO best practices? Wow, there's some good ones. Search Engine Watch is one. Uh, Moz has a blog. It's pretty good. Uh, what else? What are, what are your favorites, John? You're close to that than me. Yeah, I go to Search Engine Journal. Um, I so, like that one. Then it kind of brings in a lot of different yeah. sources from a lot of different places. I still go to SE Round, SEO Roundtable, which is Barry's blog, where he's giving you up-to-date, day-to-day updates on what's going on. Very short, like snippets, which is like if you're looking for a very specific change, something's happened, like you don't know what's going on that day, that's the place to go first. Um, apart from that, you know, yeah, search engine, uh, search engine journal is another favorite of mine. Yep. Good deal. Next. Yes. Uh, we have a question from Catherine. Does social media presence factor into SEO? Love that question. John, you're going to take that one. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about this a little while ago. Um, so 
Uh, yes and no. Um, the reality is social signals aren't really a ranking factor. That is to say, like when you're linking to different, um, you know, your business website, for instance, from different places on in social Twitter, Facebook, link, you know, LinkedIn, um, it's not necessarily going to drive any um, authority or any trust necessarily to that. However, it is sort of is a standard practice. Uh, again, goes back to sort of like the table stakes as a professional organization, you should have these profiles and you should be utilizing them for the purposes they need. For instance, with Twitter, it's kind of a customer service tool. Facebook, it's a really great way to share content. Uh, LinkedIn, it's sort of the business, you know, that's, the, that's where your business's uh, profile sort of lives. Um, I think of it as an opportunity to kind of ride the wave. If your organization can get involved in some really interesting content or be a part of something that's happening on social, it can be a reason people might be searching for things that are related to your business. And in that way, driving search engine results, right? So it's sort of, they're, they're cousins, but they're not necessarily driving anything from one to the other directly. Good deal. I would just also add that you know, I have about 7,000 followers on Twitter and it's less active than it used to be. Uh, but, you know, by doing that, um, you know, you do meet people. Like my, I mentioned my relationship with Cleveland Clinic started with a follower that was active on Twitter and LinkedIn. And I noticed she was more active on my blog than my editor was, who was paying money to. So I ended up emailing her and that's how I built a relationship with Cleveland Clinic. So that became an indirect source um, but it can be a powerful source, especially as you start building true thought leadership. It's not just a bunch of you know, robots following you, but real people. Um, that tends to give you more interview requests, more um, you know, speaking opportunities. And again, like for example, on the press and the speaking, we don't actively go after it. I don't have a press agent that comes to me because of the, the um, content and credibility we've invested in over the years. And then once you do that, though, that builds you a competitive advantage. It's really hard for someone new to come in. You can't just do some good title tags on a website and compete. It's really hard to beat that reputation once it's established. Kyle? Oh, let's see here. A uh, question from Mark. What do you see as the future of SEO? Um, I'll take a stab at this. And John, you're closer to, to me than me on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I, I feel like um, the answer is really the same answer I probably would have given a couple of years ago. Google is insane about trying to interpret. Um, it, they want to make a natural language. So my experience in dealing with, um, you know, the people at Google um, has been that they're trying to make it so users don't have to be smart with what their queries are. So for example, uh, one of the comments I remember from going at various meetings I've had with people on the Google team is, if someone misspells it, that's not the user fault, that's our fault, right? Like they wanna be able to interpret that even if it's a misspelling, what is the intent behind the search? So they, it's more than just keyword phrases, you know, because in the beginning we all sort of figured out by trial and error how to do a keyword search. So instead of saying, you know, who's the best dentist I should see? And, um, you know, you would say dentist, Tustin, you know, licensed or something, right? And so people would try to come up with these artificial things. But now um, Google has become much better at, you know, uh, what's the best dentist who offers telemedicine? It's beginning to figure that out. It's beginning to figure out the meaning of search queries and handle much more sophisticated um, queries. And by using artificial intelligence or machine learning, it's able to get, figure out, it comes up with like little mini hypotheses and it's able to evaluate whether it's, um, this result was better or worse based upon the user's behavior. Um, some of the things I was telling John last night as we were preparing, uh, 
I remember at one point they said, so if you could ask Google, you know, what college or what school did Jimi Hendrix's father go to? And so that's kind of where they want to go. Last time I checked, they still couldn't do that one, but maybe they can today. I don't know. But that's really where it wants. It's trying to understand the meaning of search and it's just optimizing and getting better and better at it. So that's what I would suggest. Uh, John? Yeah, um, the future of search is interesting. I, I, I like to have these debates with some of my SEO buddies. And one of the ones that I'm, I, I have two pieces that I'm going to One is that I'm expecting personalized uh, search to get even more precise. They're going to be starting trying to predict what it is you're actually looking for, which is if you're logged into Google, they're going to do everything they can to actually deliver you a result without even having to search. Uh, it's going to be a lot to do with your behavior, um, other types of data that they're tracking across platforms, especially if you're if you're working on an Android, forget it. They have everything that you're doing. So that, that's one of those things where they're going to try to deliver to you a result based on what you were just looking at. If you're looking to do additional research, they want you to stay in their in their in their content ecosphere as long as possible. So they want to serve up everything they could possibly think of that might keep you there. Uh, that might also include integrations with other platforms you're used to using, just to keep you in a window that happens to be Google Google owned. So that's something I would expect uh, in the next couple of years. I'm also expecting that anything that's currently free with Google will be monetized in the next two couple of years. I, I called this for Google My Business a couple of years ago. I said, There's, they have to monetize this somehow. And they're already in the process of doing that, both from the ad standpoint, but also they're testing this, this opportunity to have a more advanced listing. So these are the types of things that you should be looking for. I think they're gonna start rolling that specific, that piece out probably more broadly as it's, as it's more successful right now, they're just testing in places like San Francisco and stuff. But as it gets more, um, uh, it, they prove it out and they have more data on it, should be rolling out across more markets and more more verticals. Yeah, and like, you know, um, uh, I was sharing with one of our directory tools yesterday, uh, which I'll probably uh, share them uh, in an upcoming webinar. Uh, but they also are showing me data that they've seen where uh, it's becoming less and less about the website, where the website's still vitally important, obviously. but so many of these offline directories are, you know, they do cumulatively bring in a ton of search. So that's important as well. So making sure you have those directories. And again, we partner with a, a couple of the leading companies and different ones for different reasons, but the, uh, both of those um, uh, companies can help you show up in multiple locations. Kyle? Yeah, another question here uh, from Catherine. Uh, how should I explain to doctors how important it is for them to write blog posts. <laughs> um, so you'll find that some doctors will do it. Some just won't ever. You're just not going to be able to get them to do it. Um, what That's not really going to be the best model though, too, because what well, depends, like typically we'll find like in a group of 10, there might be one that likes it, enjoys it, likes the thought leadership aspect of it. And so that would be the one I'd want to do. Even then, you know, some people are better writers than others. And certainly most doctors are going to be great writers and SEO writers. So what I would probably do is make that opportunity available to all your doctors um, and, this, and particularly help them understand because they usually are like the thought leadership aspect of it. They like being able to uh, be a thought leader in the community, but that's at best one out of 10. Another option is um, to either do this on your own or work with a firm like ours to have people write, professionals write the blogs because uh, that content is everything, right? And getting good SEO content, not writing for the sake of writing, but figuring out what topics are actually being searched and writing um, content that's, you know, uh, candy for the search engines. And then even like um, some of the things we do for some of our clients when they want to do this is 
interview the doctors and get their take um, so that um, we're able to um, understand from the doctor's point of view, um, uh, you know, what they want to write about, but we have that translated by a ghostwriter. So that would be probably my best answer for that. Kyle? Perfect. Uh, let's see if there's anything else here at the moment. And it looks like that is it for now. Great. All right. We're about 20 minutes into Q&A, but that's good. So I, and most of our, uh, over like, what, th two thirds of our audience is still here. So obviously this is a hot topic. Um, if you made it this far, thanks for listening. If you're interested in having us help you, that's great. If you have any quick questions uh, and stuff that we alluded to, uh, just that's uh, an email address you can send to me. I uh, appreciate your time. Thank you.